0: Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. I want to start off with a question. Have you ever wondered what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now we all believe in Jesus, we all agree and we acknowledge that the word of God is fully true. He came to earth, he taught with authority, he healed, he did the miraculous, he died on the cross for us, he rose on the third day. We all believe these things and we are saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ by the work he's done on the cross. Total agreeance, but still I ask the question again. What does it mean to be a disciple? Because believing in Christ is massive. That is huge. But that's still not being a disciple of Christ. So to live as a disciple of Christ means to follow his ways, it means to follow his teachings, and to do it at a cost. But at that cost, it also comes with a great reward. So what it does is it requires an assessment of the heart, it requires a relationship with God and a desire to obediently follow God in our relationships with one another. And Jesus teaches that the practices and the results of this take place within our lives, within our church and outwardly as well. And he teaches it all at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Beatitudes. So Turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go through the beginning of that, verses 1 through to 12. And this is what it says. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven so your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you let's pray father we just thank you that we can come before you this morning we thank you for uh, this service so far that we can come that we can honor you that we can glorify you together as a body and i just pray lord that you would open up our ears and soften our hearts to hear from you this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us, that you would challenge us to transformation and to continue that sanctification process in our lives, uh, that we would adhere to you, but we would also be encouraged by you and learn how to apply what you teach uh, to benefit you and to benefit your kingdom and to grow uh, in gospel living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so today we're going to go through each of those Nine Beatitudes. And as I finished this sermon, I realized that this could quite easily be a nine-week series, and I've compacted it into about 35 minutes. So I won't hesitate to get started, because I don't want to miss anything out. But uh, what I do plan to do is really understand what Jesus means by these, each of these statements, and then how we apply that in our lives as well. So verse 3, the first one, he says, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit.'" For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, the phrase poor in spirit means this it means to be humble enough to know how desperately, desperately we need God in our lives. It means to have that revelation, to have that realization of our own sin that we struggle with and that we are dealing with, and that emptiness that we have without God. So, if we live our lives with pride and Self-satisfaction based on our achievements and our looks, our abilities, our skills. What we're doing is we're actually blocking God out of the equation because we don't think we need him. And our pride then becomes our blockage and we begin to lie to ourselves. We begin to think, you know, I'm going pretty well. I have it all together. Life is pretty sweet. But the problem with that is it's just not true. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.10 that none is righteous, not one. So no matter how good we might think that we have it, it's not our doing. We didn't earn that. We, didn't, we don't even deserve that and we didn't cause that either. So all of this, everything that happens within our lives is by the grace of God. And he deserves all the praise and all the glory for that. So we don't want to grow boastful. We don't want to grow arrogant hearts based on circumstance. We don't want to grow pride in our achievements. Because those things, they come and they go. They're kind of like the Melbourne weather, as inconsistent as as it becomes. But God is forever that constant. He is forever consistent. He is forever faithful. He is forever good to each of us so when jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit he's saying blessed are those who are humble enough to know they need god not just that they want god but they desperately utterly on their knees know that they need him so blessed in this context and in the context of all these statements is uh, is a heavenly exaltation. It's not earthly riches as sometimes we've become accustomed to the word blessing. I want to bless someone so I'm going to pay for their fuel. It's, this is a heavenly exaltation. So the kingdom of heaven is a blessing for those who lay themselves before God with humility attaching themselves to their need for Him, willingly surrendering themselves, surrendering their shortcomings, anything else that that may be going going on in their lives, and attaching themselves to God, giving Him total control, total superiority, helping to steer us on course. It's a straight and narrow course, and we need God's guidance to get through that um, that gate. So that's the element of being a disciple, Is it's hard, but if we trust in God, He will steer us within His perfect will. So then, verse 4, He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, generally, when you think of the word mourn, what do we think of? Think of death. But this statement isn't primarily talking about physical death. So, what it's based on, it's, it's a based around our pain, based around our sadness and, and our grieving. And that could be happening within our personal lives, or it could just be something that's going on within the world around us. So when we face some of these difficulties within our own life, our own personal sin struggles, uh, we may have family or friends that are unsaved. There may be sickness, there may be death in itself. That saddens us and we mourn and we grieve. When we face or see the evil things that are going on in this world, the mocking of our faith, the mocking of our Saviour, the agendas of the mainstream media, this grieves us as well. This frustrates us. This hurts us. You know, when we think of the cross and we think about what Jesus has done for us, the pain that he went through, the physical torture, the mental struggles, the verbal abuse, and then you watch people mocking the only one who could save them that hurts that hits hard and i know that that some of these people think that this is their aim but you know they want to hurt christians because they themselves feel hurt and as the old saying goes hurt people hurt people but they misfired because the reality is that that for us we're saved you know we have our salvation in Christ. But what they're hurting is themselves and their own eternity. But we're comforted through our pain. So God comforts our sorrow with the knowledge that it won't always be this way. And I want to encourage you with that as well today. It's not always going to be this way. Our comfort and our hope in times of grief come from the Lord through that eternal hope that blessed assurance that we have in our salvation, that we have in Christ, and knowing what's to come. And it tells us what's to come. If we go to Revelation 21, verses 3 to 5, let's read this together. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So we have comfort. We have comfort in what we have to look forward to. A life in eternal glory with Jesus forever. That's what eternity means. Eternal means forever, ongoing, never ending. Our living with Jesus will never, ever end. So no matter the pains of this world, no matter the discomforts that we may experience, that we may go through, our struggles, that will last a short while But the blessing and the joy of what is to come far outweighs it. It's forever, and this is our comfort in our time of grief. Verse five, Jesus says, "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." So, meek in the Greek that that means to be gentle, means to be lowly, not provoked easily to the whatever might be happening through an enemy or an oppressor, whatever they might be saying. Now, naturally, though, these traits, this meek trait, has absolutely no place in this revenge-based culture of a world that we currently live in. It goes completely against the patterns of modern culture. You think about the way that this world operates is an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You call me this, well, I'll call you that. How do you like them apples? All of that sort of stuff. People who carry the meek character, though, They don't assert themselves over others to further their own agenda, but in fact will inherit the earth, as Jesus says here, as they trust God in all their outcomes. So the saying inherit the earth implies that they forego worldly power and will be rewarded with the kingdom of heaven. So they aren't worried about jostling for position on earth because their focus isn't on these worldly things their focus goes beyond the world and our focus should be the same we shouldn't be focusing on worldly things either you know winning a silly argument it's not relevant showing superiority over another person it means nothing hitting back when when someone has provoked you, all that does is that creates this unnecessary risk of further aggravating a situation or, or another person. The Bible says we are in this world, but we're not of this world. We don't come from here and we're not made for here. We're made for something greater. Now, Being in this world, it does create a need to follow the purposes and plans for God While we are here, so we still have importance here, we're not to pick up the lazy stick and and kind of just coast by, but we are to look at people, we are to look at situations through the lens and the focus of Christ and this gospel. And we're to do it with a meek heart, gentleness, humility, looking at people as more important than ourselves, not being provoked, not responding to provocation. That's the heart of a meek person, Now the opposite of meekness is uh, egotistical, pompous, haughty, aggressive and and these traits don't advance the kingdom of God. These are not traits of our Lord. They don't show us to be disciples of Jesus Christ and in fact will probably steer people in the other direction than what we're called to do. But simply what we have to do is not be controlled and sucked in by the ways of the world, but to open up our Bible and see what Jesus says and follow the patterns of our Lord. So uh, it must also be mentioned that meekness isn't a doormat mentality. It's not uh, not even silence in the face of injustice. Now in Jesus' culture, as I said before, they operated on this eye-for-eye mentality. The problem, though, was this was a never-ending cycle. So where do you draw the line? How much is too much? Against the face of culture, Jesus calls his disciples to diffuse the fire, not to fan it into this extravagant flame to the point of not ever being able to be extinguished. So no matter how dire the circumstance, a meek person will find joy in knowing that God has a perfect plan and a purpose for them while they are here. We are to walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 6, this statement Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now here, when, when Jesus talks about righteousness, he's talking about a right relationship with God, and with other people, and that will grant us satisfaction unlike any other. How good is that? I remember when I first became a Christian and I and I seen this verse, and I was like, oh man, hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's this righteousness? I want some. Um, so as followers of Christ, we should urgently be pursuing a relationship with God and growing in that relationship with God and with other people as well, with our church family. This is what fuels us in our faith, as we were just talking about in that interview before with Jared. This is what fuels us. This is what pushes us forward and further on. And it's what gives us our greatest joy and our greatest peace as we're going through this world. Now, we do this through eagerly desiring God's will in our life over our own. And we do that through following through in these areas of spiritual discipline. So studying the Word of God on a consistent basis, spending time in prayer. And that's a genuine, genuine time in prayer. Not kind of, uh, you know, while I'm in the car and I've got nothing else to do, I'll throw out a few You know a few one-liners for five minutes and then get home and get back into my busyness. But it's a a genuine spending time knowing situations and people to pray for and spending that genuine time with God and that fellowship with our Father. Uh, Drawing close to Him, working your life around His plans and not the other way around and seeking to shine the light of Christ in our relationships with people uh, and within the community as well. You know, we're not righteous in and within ourselves, but we can still hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God and for God himself and to see others growing in him. So desiring this righteousness, what it is, it's, it's uh, touching on the inner state of our heart. So Matthew twelve thirty four says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is happening inwardly, ...will then show itself outwardly. If inwardly your desire for God is so strong, that will be seen by your fruit... So this includes in that personal devotional life that we were talking about before, and that includes within the community as well. So the disciplines and actions, all those things that we were talking about just then, they fall into this category. If those things are running effectively and strong in our life, that will be seen outwardly and that would be projected within our relationships. So... If you find that maybe you're struggling in this area, a good question to ask that I would encourage is, what is it that I truly want? Is it the instant satisfactions of this world? I call it a fast food culture that we live in. Or is it the things of God that are eternal, that are everlasting? And not just the things of God, but God himself who gives all peace gives all joy is love he god is love himself gives all mercy truth ultimate satisfaction comes from god now it's an important question to ponder on and i can stand up here and i can say what we all need but i have no power to force faith upon anybody that is something that christ works on in all of our hearts and we're com- we're called to submit to him Out of loving obedience to the saving grace that he first showed us. So then we go to verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So to be merciful is to display compassion, is to display forgiveness to those in need. So it's basically to embody the character of Christ. He first showed mercy to us. Let's follow that character of mercy so how do we do this well let's have a look uh, at a line from the lord's prayer matthew six twelve: forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors in other translations uh, it might say uh, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us that's a really clear um, explanation of it so so god has forgiven the very worst in us Let's just take a moment, not to condemn ourselves, but just to remind us of God's grace in our lives. Let's just take a moment and just think about the worst thing that you can think of that maybe you have done. And let's recognise that God knew that. And God doesn't like sin, so obviously God detests that as well. But... In Christ, because of his work on the cross, he has forgiven us of all of these wrongs as we come to him. And as we are forever forgiven, as we accept his free gift of eternal life and salvation, we then think about the situations within our own lives. If we can accept the forgiveness of God upon us on the worst things that we have done, then who are we to not forgive those who have maybe wronged us, who have maybe sinned against us. You know, sometimes people sin consciously, sometimes it's deliberately, sometimes it's not. Sometimes they don't even realize what they're doing. This was evident on the cross when Jesus said, Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Sometimes that's how it happens, sometimes it is deliberate, but whether it's conscious or subconscious, But show mercy, just as our Father has been merciful to us. So we are blessed if we have mercy because God Himself displays mercy. God is compassionate on the miserable and He doesn't play favorites. He shows mercy because that's who He is. He is a merciful God, and that's something for us to celebrate, but it's also something for us to embody within our own lives. It's well and good to say, I love God, He's merciful, but we're also called to follow that, to follow those patterns, to follow those characters. You know, sometimes we can pick and choose who we are merciful towards, but that's not what this statement suggests. It's not blessed are the sometimes merciful. Merciful to those that they like and judgmental upon the rest. And I know I, I put my hand up, I can be I can be that person many times, probably three hundred times a week, I reckon. But it's blessed are the merciful. That's it. Blessed are the merciful, full stop. Well, the sentence continues, it's not literally a full stop, but you know what I mean. And the result of that is they shall receive mercy. How good. So even in the midst of wrongdoing, God displays mercy on us. Wrong attitude, wrong talk coming out of our lips, wrong actions. God is merciful. And as disciples of Christ, it should be our heart to do the same, to show mercy in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So we go to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, this statement shows us that Jesus is concerned with our hearts. Outward appearance and reflection is one thing. But let me ask you this question. How are you doing inwardly? How is your heart? One of my old pastors used to... At my first meeting... With him, actually. The first thing he said to me was, and he looked at me with his dagger eyes and he goes, How is your soul? And I was like, my goodness, what have I signed up for? But it makes you reflect, it makes you think. Matthew 23 25 to 26, really imperative uh, piece of scripture and teaching here. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. But inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind pharisee. First clean the inside of your cup and plate, that the outside also may be clean. So in other words, these pharisees, they might be looking the part, teaching, holding on to the law, doing what looks right, but inwardly they're tormented by these traits that oppose the gospel. What does Jesus call them? Greed and self-indulgence. So this suggests that their motives aren't pure. This suggests that they do what they do, not for God, but for themselves and for their own self-satisfaction. That's their heart motive behind everything they do. It may look squeaky clean on the outside. Does anybody Who washes the dishes here? Uh, I don't know if you're telling the truth. Anyway, sorry, not judgmental, merciful. I believe you. (laughs) Sometimes, some of us, and I don't mean to be sexist here, but sometimes those of us of the male species, uh, sometimes we kind of rush it just to get it out the way. Now, if we don't have a dishwasher, even more so. We just kind of rush it, it looks pretty good. And then we throw it back on the pile and get it done as quick as we can, so we can get back to whatever it is we would much rather be doing. So that's what Jesus is kind of talking about here. You you clean the the uh, outside of your cup, but the inside, I still see that. You know, I still see the heart. God sees the heart. We might think that we're in the you know deep private recesses of our own lives, and nobody can see, but God does. God sees. God knows our heart desires. God knows our motives. And uh, the heart defines, it defines us, it defines truly who we are. Even if we fake it till we make it, the heart still defines us and God sees that. So all the issues of life stem from the heart. The root of our character grows from the motives of within, with our heart. You know, the heart is crucial to Jesus. What we are in those deep, dark recesses of our lives. He cares about that. He didn't come into this world because we have some bad habits that need to be broken. He came in because we have such dirty hearts that need to be purified. And in his mercy, he has done that on the cross. If we go to verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Oh, man, I love this one. So... For those of you that haven't picked up yet, I am a peacekeeper. And I used to use this very statement to justify being a peacekeeper. peacekeeper. And one day, I did a a spiritual formation course for Bible college, and we were talking about this this unhealthy habit that I have. And and I spoke to my uh, teacher, and I said, "No, No, no, the Bible says, Blessed are the peacemakers. And he said, Yes, it does. Blessed are the peacemakers not the peace keepers. And I was like, oh, man, no, no, no. Why did I say that? I could have kept going with this excuse. But anyway, to be a peacemaker is to reflect the father's character of desiring peace and creating a peace and unity that's not there. It's a healthy peace. It's not a sweep it under the rug because it's become all too hard and I want to avoid all conflict and all tough conversations altogether. It's not that sort of peace. So peacemaking requires actions to promote harmony. God proved how hard peacemaking can be when he did it first. He did it for us, sending his son to suffer and to die on the cross for those that he loves and then resurrect on the third day to defeat sin so that he could build that bridge for us to come to him so that what was once separated through our sin would be brought back together. That's creating that peace. That's creating that unity, That that killing that separation with God. This was an action that he took to make peace with his creation. An action which required heartache. It required hurt, anguish, pain, but ultimately reward. Because as I said, we were separated but then we came back together with God through that peacemaking on the cross. Hebrews 12.14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. How on earth do we make every effort to be at peace with absolutely everybody? That is difficult. I know that as I have gotten older, I've become a little bit more cynical. I've become a little bit more critical of, just watching people out on the street and I don't know I feel like I give daggers to people without realizing it sometimes and it's something that I've I've got to watch but but how do we do it how it what we do is this is a deliberate action to bring together what might be fractured what might be rocky what might be broken and creating that harmony there so what we do is we we honor others above ourselves we look at people as more important as ourselves or than ourselves uh, we mourn with those who mourn we share with those in need we rejoice with those who rejoice we turn away from evil and do good we seek conversation rather than steering clear of it working with people with the objective of resolution that should be the result that we have in mind at all times. Resolution. And we do that in love, by the way. When we come to create peace, we don't come banging down the door and, and barking until we get our way. That's not creating peace. It's actually probably doing the, the, the complete opposite of it. But we still need to have those conversations. But to do it in a gentle manner, to do it with love, in a, in a gospel-oriented way. So... Peacemaking is a process, but we've got to ensure that God and His Word is the top priority in those times. Life's bumpy, we hit rocks, we have difficulties, we make mistakes, we get hurt. It happens to all of us. But there must be a process to ensure reconciliation and to ensure it in a manner that is worthy of the gospel and glorifies God. The aim of peacemaking is to create a strong, healthy, healthy, gospel-centered relationship between two or more people. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So persecution of course is never a pleasant experience. Nobody wants to have to go through it, but the reality of of life, especially for us as Christians, is that it will happen. So persecution involves suffering, often severe pain, whether that be emotional, mental, spiritual, physical. Sometimes it's a combination of those. Sometimes it's all of them, all at once. But what Jesus is offering here is an encouragement. It's a blessing of the kingdom. To those who are persecuted, those who are actively pursuing the kingdom of righteousness, he's saying you will be persecuted. And because of faith in Christ, You will be persecuted, but there's the encouragement here, the blessing of the kingdom. If we live a life that is worthy of being called a disciple of Christ, there will be attacks. There will be persecution that comes against us and it will result in hurt. It will result in pain. It will result in suffering. But Jesus says, no, you will be rewarded for picking up your cross and for following me. Regardless of what people think, regardless of the chatter behind your back, regardless of what people do to you, you are saved, you are my child, and you will be rewarded. First Peter two twenty If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. So righteousness means more than just being a good person refers to a complete orientation of life towards God, towards God's will, allowing the gospel to transform us to a position of just total surrender before God, to live a life that is worthy of his call. It's a a visible righteousness as the fruit of the gospel is there on full display for the world to see. Now, having said that, It's really difficult to endure persecution. It's really difficult to endure suffering. We're people. We're humans. We have emotions. We have feelings. And we get hurt. We get broken. Our hearts break when these things happen. Being made to suffer, especially for doing the work of Jesus, is a plan of the enemy to ensure that you don't endure to the end. It's to throw you off course. He wants to break our spirit. He wants to prevent us from finishing the race that we are running. So if you find yourself under persecution for your faith, you know what? You're blessed because it means you're doing well. It means you're being a good and faithful servant. If Satan is leaving you alone, that's a time I would worry. Because it usually means that we're not doing much for the kingdom. He's not going to attack someone that's not making any difference. But if he is attacking you, and he knows exactly what buttons to push, and sometimes we don't see it at the time, which is why we need to be discerning, but if he is attacking you, then you can rest assured, and this is my encouragement for you, that you're running well. You're running the race well. You're being a good and faithful servant. He's trying to trip you up, but let's keep our focus on Christ. Discern, use wisdom, all of these things. Know what is, what isn't from God and stay resilient on the path that God has set before you. The Bible says, if you rebuke the devil, then he will flee, but rebuke him in the name of Jesus because Jesus has that authority. So enduring persecution for the sake of righteousness requires this uncompromising level of faithfulness in God, despite any threat, despite any pressure. The threat of pressure, that can can come from Satan, as I discussed before, but it can also come from other people. It can come from ourselves, from our own thoughts or our own decisions or our own desires or attitudes. It can come from circumstance. But despite how good or how bad that these areas might be, we need to maintain a resiliency that is worthy of being a disciple of Christ. We don't want to compromise our faith, not for anything, because there's nothing greater than the eternal reward that we have. And God has justified us. Jesus justified us on the cross so we could have that reward. Without him, we wouldn't have that reward. So I think it's it's worth it. I think any, any suffering we have to go through, I think it's worth it. And that's my encouragement for you today. If maybe you're going through a difficult time today. Maybe you've been going through one for a few years. I would ask the question, what's that compared to forever? We might, we might have a lifetime of struggle. We might have a lifetime, that's what, 70, 80 years. Is that the average? I don't know, of attack. But 70 or 80 years compared to eternity, it's just the blink of an eye. Nothing. So persecution is just a fleeting short time. But we have a joy to come where there's no mourning, no weeping, forever good. So to finish verse 11 and 12, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, obviously, this is very similar uh, to the previous one in, in the connection there of persecution. But this one also talks about being falsely accused of all sorts of wrong simply for being a believer of Christ. So, the key word here is falsely. In other words, lies, untrue statements incorrect assumptions, and for the reason of being a follower of Christ, he says here, on my account. So an example to clear this up, a Christian might be labelled as a bigot or homophobic for opposing the LGBTQ lifestyle. Now, we oppose it because the word of God says that it's immoral and it's unnatural. It's not the way that God ordained marriage. And we believe the Bible because we believe God and we follow God. It's not because we hate them. We don't hate them. We love them and we want to see them in eternity with us. And a phobia, a phobia is generally a fear of something, right? So I'm arachnophobic. I have a fear of spiders. Jen is too. I sweat and scream like a girl if I see a spider. It doesn't matter if it's... If it's a huntsman, if it's a tarantula, or if it's actually Job's the daddy long legs, he's the one scared of daddy longlegs. I'm fine with them. But anything else, and I'm running a mile, and Paula's killing it, or Rob, sometimes I invite over if she's not home. So I have a genuine fear of spiders, but I don't think any of us, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of us are scared of people from the pride group. So to say that we're homophobic, again, is a lie. It's a false accusation and it's a way to kind of bring us down from what we uh, believe is true from the word of God. But know that you are blessed when these things happened. It happened to Jesus. They accused him falsely of having demons. Son of God having demons. Crying out loud. So wear it as a badge of honour, if you will. Um, should it happen to you it means basically that you're speaking the truth of the gospel with your convictions of what the gospel what the bible says and it's in, we're in a world that needs the gospel so the lord knew that his kingdom leaders that his faithful servants that's us would need to maintain an eternal perspective because his suffers they have uh, sorry his followers have suffered greatly for doing what God sees as righteous for thousands of years now. The persecution on the church has been so heavy and will continue to be that way should we walk forward in the truth of the gospel. And that's powerful to receive. We need this encouragement. Now, in Australia, we look at church here and we think we're not doing too bad. You look overseas and and they're doing a lot worse, suffering uh, in... in Far more traumatic ways, if it will, but you also need to look at context as well, and, and the and the trend of things for Christians, even in Western culture, is it's plummeting, uh, the way that people perceive Christians now. Even if you say to someone, "I'm a Christian," at least back a, a number of years ago, people would think, "Oh, he's a good person with good morals." Now, if you say I'm a Christian, they think all these things like bigots, homophobics and whatnot because of the way that the the uh, world has perceived it and way things have been twisted. So it's really good to receive this encouragement from Christ saying, "Hey, people might think this, people might say this, and this might be happening to you, but guess what? This is your eternal reward." So I would much rather endure now and be rewarded eternally than simply coast by not understand the great importance of stepping up in faith for the gospel. So these beatitudes, they assure us of who we are and the path that we're to walk down as disciples of Christ. And that no matter how much hardship, no matter how much suffering that we endure for Christ's sake, we can be confident, and that's what hope is in the Bible. It's a confidence. We can be confident that our reward in heaven will be great. And that's a real joy, to be able to understand, to be able to be encouraged by from the lips of Christ himself. The call of discipleship, it's not easy, but be encouraged because it's most certainly worthwhile. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, to for the call to discipleship. I thank you, Lord, that you have... Uh, called us to yourself and what an honour and what a privilege it is to be able to share your glory in this world, to be able to speak the truth of your love, to be able to speak the truth of your gospel and to see sinners come into repentance and faith. And we pray that uh, you would put a boldness and a courage on all of us to be able to do this, Lord, and and that in doing it, we would just uh, step out, not in our own strength, but Uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, and we'd see lives changed, we'd see the lost found, and we'd see the kingdom of God filled uh, with more people, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that even when we go through suffering, I'm sure there is many people here this morning who are going through a difficult season right now. Lord, I just pray that you would comfort them. Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide them, that you would mold them and shape them. and and that through this season that they're going through, Lord, that they would know that they can trust in you and that they would know that their reward in heaven is great. And we pray these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.